You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. There's an anthropologist named Dr. Helen Fisher. She studies love. She's been at it for more than 40 years. And she says love is very simple. She said, Timing is important. Proximity is important. Mystery is important. She tries to understand what it means to be in love, asking people things like, What percentage of the day and night do you think about this person? Would you die for this person? And then... Along with her colleagues Art Aaron and Lucy Brown, she's put these people into an fMRI machine and showed them a picture of the person they love and watched their brain. She said that love is not an emotion, it's a drive, and one of the most powerful brain systems on Earth for both joy and sorrow. In one experiment, they looked at the brain activity of 17 people who were in love and felt that they were loved in return. And then they looked at the brains of 15 people who'd just been broken up with, but said they were still in love with the person. I had been watching a TED Talk given by a woman named Dr. Helen Fisher. She had been studying the way that our brains work when they're in love. Dr. Fisher actually has a few TED Talks on the subject. One is called Why We Love, Why We Cheat, and another is called The Brain in Love. And it was fascinating listening to this woman talk about the kinds of recognizable brain activation that romantic love might prompt. And that really surprised me. This is Dessa. She's a musician and a writer. When she saw Dr. Fisher describe her research, she learned that an fMRI machine allowed researchers to locate specifically where our brains sort of light up when we're in love. An fMRI machine, functional magnetic resonance imaging, measures and documents activity in the brain by monitoring changes in blood flow. Sort of looks like an x-ray of your brain, but there's splotches of color on it. And most of us have seen this kind of image on TV or in a magazine, and those splotches of color represent which parts of your brain are active during a given task. So for example, if I tap my right middle finger on my leg, 
There's a particular part of my brain that pretty reliably lights up whenever I move that finger. It's like, that part of my brain is in charge of finger tapping. <laughs> and so we know that there are some correlations between like which parts of the neuroanatomy are associated with certain human behaviors. But it had never occurred to me that feeling love might, that the feeling of love might be associated with certain regions in our brain. And I was fascinated by that. When she saw Dr. Fisher describe her work, Dessa learned that there's a place at the very bottom of the brain called the ventral tegmental area that becomes active when people are in love. Dr. Fisher calls it the reptilian core of the brain, associated with wanting and with craving. She says it's the same area that becomes active when you're feeling the effects of cocaine. Dr. Fisher says... Romantic love is obsession. It possesses you. You can't stop thinking about another human being. Somebody is camping in your head. Dessa had been in love with the same person for the better part of two decades. When things were good, they were great. But over time, she says, we'd made each other thoroughly unhappy. They'd broken up and gotten back together and broken up again and gotten back together again. By the fall of 2016, they were just friends. She says there was a lot of respect between them. But she couldn't let go. She was frustrated with herself for still half-hoping they had a future. She thought to herself, why can't you stop hoping? What would it take for you to let go? She says she felt kind of stuck. I felt like I had tried sort of all of the traditional interventions, you know, inserting kind of social distance between myself and this form of partner, doing other stuff that I liked. You know, I traveled a lot. I just moved my body very far away <laughs> from that person. And it still, it still lingered, you know, and in a way that really hurt. And so I decided to see if there was a way that I could make, that I could force quit the program. Like, was there anything that I could do to get the love out of me? And I thought, well, if my love is living or is expressed in certain regions of my brain, like maybe I can snuff it out somehow with a neurological intervention. And so she started to plan an experiment, part science project, part art project, to try and fall out of love. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. She wanted to know if she could train herself, train her brain, to respond differently to this person she'd been so focused on for years and years, to turn down the volume on her obsession. First, inspired by Dr. Fisher's fMRI studies, she wanted to see her brain, to see if she could see in an image where her feelings were. So Dessa got in touch with a brain researcher, Dr. Cheryl Ullman, at the University of Minnesota, and explained what she wanted to do. Dr. Ullman agreed to help her get an fMRI. Dessa remembers she put on scrubs and lay down on the table and was shown images of two men, the man she loved and another man, a friend. And we measured the response my brain had to each of these images as they flashed in succession. 
And by the time we were done, she was able to guess uh, pretty confidently which of the two guys I was in love with based on the way that my brain responded. Once Dr. Cheryl Ullman had finished analyzing the results, she sent Dessa the images. And I remember sitting at a cafe and receiving an email from Dr. Cheryl Ullman. She sent me this email and I could see my own profile, you know, rendered in the blacks and whites of, a, of an fMRI image. And there was a red dot right in the region that um, previous experiments would have implied it would be if I were experiencing the feeling of love in the moment that that image was captured. It was intense, man, and it was very strange because I, even though, of course, I knew I was in love, I'd been in love for years, it was the whole reason that I'd you know, gone to these great lengths and was doing all this crazy stuff, it felt like um, now I had a postcard to prove it, <laughs> you know? Dessa was interested in exploring a type of experimental therapy called neurofeedback. Neurofeedback works by providing feedback to, um, to an individual when their brain behaves in a desirable way. So an example that might sometimes be used is like if you have a kid who is struggling with some behavioral issues, um, you might put a lot of electrodes on their head. These electrodes will measure brain activity and they'll measure it while this kid's doing anything, you know, they're talking to you or watching a cartoon on a tablet. But if you've hooked up that tablet that is playing the cartoon to the electrodes on this kid's head, then you can, for example, dim the screen when um, undesirable patterns of brain behavior emerge. Ah, but I want to see the cartoon, <laughs> right? And so you have this kind of feedback process happening where the kid's objective is to see the cartoon clearly because they want to follow the story. And there's a connection that's being made, even if it's a subconscious connection, between certain brain activities and that reward of, uh, of a cartoon. The idea is that with enough repetition, Neurofeedback exercises may help people retrain their brains. It's been endorsed by athletes and the motivational speaker Tony Robbins. It's controversial. Some experts say there's not enough data to know if it does anything at all. Studies have shown that a placebo version of the treatment is just as effective. But it's used as an experimental treatment for traumatic brain injuries, PTSD, ADHD, and depression, among other things. Dessa decided she would give it a shot and contacted a neurofeedback technician named Penny Jean Gracefire. Here's Penny Jean. Dessa's initial conceptualization was, can we use something like neurofeedback to essentially get rid of the love or sort of get rid of the association in my brain? And I said, well you might want to be able to attach romantically in the future. So I don't think we really want to get rid of it so much as just give your brain more flexibility and options when it comes to encountering those associations, how intense or automatic your response is. And so what we cobbled together was the, the plan to encourage what we coined romantic resiliency. So it's not just eradicating the association or the attachment or the capacity to attach 
or feel things intensely, but about giving more flexibility so that your brain's not just bobsledding down the same exact associations at the same level of intensity. When you start to feel that you know attachment or association rise up, you can choose whether or not you wish to continue to pay attention to it. And I think that's the big difference, the feeling of choice. Support for This Is Love comes from Indeed. Hiring someone new can sometimes feel like finding a missing puzzle piece. The right person can complete a team, but the search can take a long time. And sometimes it feels entirely up to chance. Indeed is designed to help you find that perfect match much easier and much faster. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences for job candidates and becomes more accurate over time. That means the more you use it, the better it gets. You also don't need to worry about the busy work of hiring. Indeed will help you with scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Listeners to this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash thisislove. Just go to Indeed.com slash thisislove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash thisislove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Dessa completed nine separate 30-minute neurofeedback sessions with Penny Jean Gracefire over the course of a couple of weeks. Before each session, Pennington Gracefire would attach electrodes to Dessa's head, and Dessa would sit in front of a large TV screen. I could see a picture of my brain rotating very slowly, and you could see which parts of my brain were active at any given time. So um, Penny Jean Gracefire was able to reference the research that had been shared by the woman who gave the TED Talk that I saw um, Dr. Helen Fisher, about which parts of the brain were most active in love, in romantic love and attachment. And so she could tell her device, hey, let's really focus on the signals that are coming from this part of the brain. And we could kind of see in real time, like, 
Is your brain essentially operating um, in a more active way there than other people who are approximately your age and your gender? Or is it operating, uh, or is it less active? So I could see in real time, like, oh, okay, that part of my brain seemed to be running pretty hot <laughs> in that it was more active than a lot of other peoples in, in similar populations. So Penny Jean Gracefire programmed her computer essentially to create a chime when my brain was operating in what she defined as like a healthier parameter, right? So there's a little a kind of like an, an upward run of a, like a vibraphone music, for example, when your brain is doing what we hoped it would do, which is to operate in a healthier parameter in those regions of the brain. Here's the audio from Dessa Sessions. As NPR reported in 2018, a cap full of electrical leads picks up brain waves and translates them into visual or audio cues, like shifting colors on a screen or a series of dings. The idea is that people can use this feedback to retrain those brain waves, changing underlying patterns in the process, turning down unwanted brain activity, or turning up regions that are too quiet. Dessa says Penny Jean Gracefire told her she didn't even really need to be doing anything or thinking about anything in particular. She just had to sit there and let her brain unconsciously learn. Were you constantly asking yourself, okay, do I, I help? Yeah, do, do I feel any better about this guy? Do I feel a little more resolved? Do I feel a little... I mean, was it, was it hard not to try to be monitoring yourself and your progress? I was really determined not to. Um, so I wanted... Like, I didn't want to, like, be looking for tiny... T it's like if you go to the gym or something, then standing in front of the mirror to look for the change. Right. I didn't want to be trying to sense these little, you know, tiny incremental changes after every session. So I really, I was really like, I'm focusing on this as a project, if that makes sense. And I'm just going to do the thing and play it all out and do it by the book. After she was done, she went back to Dr. Cheryl Ullman at the University of Minnesota and got back into the fMRI machine. Once again, she was shown images of her ex and also of her friend. When I looked at those photos, which had been very hard to see the first time, you know, it just hurt to look at somebody who you, you tried your hardest with and it hadn't worked. Um, when I looked at them again, it wasn't like, oh, total flat read, that could be anybody, you know. Of course, it's like I knew the, the big history that we had, the ups and the downs and, and a lot of pain, but it just, it didn't feel quite as... I, didn't, I know that I, I didn't cry the second time, whereas the first time I'd had, I remember my, the hair at my temple getting wet. Yeah. And then when I left, then it was like, okay, well, now you do have to decide how you subjectively feel, right? And so I tried to be scientific about that a little bit, too. I had taken a lot of surveys that scientists, that social scientists use to measure love and attraction and stuff. But if I just evaluated my feelings in the same way that we all would normally, you know, I felt like I still had 
lingering sadness. I still had all sorts of complicated feelings that accrue over the course of a long relationship, you know. But it just, it wasn't as, um, I wasn't as fixated, I guess. It just took up, like, less of my field of vision. There was room for other, other things and feelings, and the pain and anger didn't feel like they were so, so overwhelming. Well, they had been. They had felt really overwhelming. Really just the pain had been <laughs> really intense, and I was embarrassed about that. Like, everybody else can get over a failed romance. This is ridiculous, and it's messing with your quality of life to this degree. Could you see something different on the scans? Mm, okay, so that's how I felt when I went home, and then I had to wait, right? You know, I have to wait for... Um, for Cheryl and her team to do the data analysis. And yes, in short, she did say that the preferential way that my brain had responded the first time around, you know, this big leap essentially of activity in these love regions of the brain, it wasn't evident in the same way when I went back, that it was much, yeah, that the, the preferential response wasn't there to observe in anything like the way it had been in the beginning, yeah. But Dr. Cheryl Ullman has said the value is not in the scan. The value is in whether she felt differently. Dessa's feelings for her ex were still present. It wasn't like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, the movie where a couple goes through such a painful breakup that they go to a clinic to have their memories erased. Dessa said it felt like the benevolent feelings had risen to the surface and the feelings of fixation and the less generous feelings, weren't quite so present. And that sounds like a small thing in some way, this resequencing of feelings. But to me, it felt like the biggest thing. She says her father noticed and told her, you seem different. Did you ever tell your ex that you had done this? I did, yeah, I did. What was his response? Um, I think it was mixed, I think. A, um, it meant like, I am really, really trying to get over you. I don't want to be in love with you anymore, which probably hurts to hear just between two people who've been trying to sort it out for so long. Um, two, it's just super intense. <laughs> it's a super intense thing to say to somebody. And, um... And three, I think he was impressed. He's like, that is exactly what you would do. Do you still think about him? Or do you still have mm. pangs in the same way of... I mean, I, I, I don't think if you've loved someone, you ever actually stop loving them. It changes and morphs and it gets quieter. But has it, does he still come up in your, in your mind? Yeah, I think that, you know, enough of my life just by the numbers, was spent in love with him or, or in a relationship with him. That it feels like, you know, it feels like um, somebody who has an ex-husband or something that they spent 15 years with. There's just going to be parts of the world that remind you of, the, of some exchange that you had or times that you spent together. But no, I don't have the um, um, searing, all-encompassing fuck-you-up <laughs> feelings that I that I used to. Um, 
but also, you know, I, a lot of life has gone by since too, right? You, you can never run it both ways. Like, what if I hadn't done that experiment? Maybe I'd be okay now too. But I, um, I don't. And when I remember how bad that used to feel, like how bad, um, it's difficult. Like if you remember a toothache, it's almost like you can remember that you had a toothache, but you cannot channel even a fraction of the immediacy and the discomfort of that pain. Yeah, it's hard to even remember accurately um, the de- how seriously I was hurting then, because I was hurting so bad. Yeah. If you had a friend who was heartbroken and would you tell him to do the same thing you did? I mean, I guess it would depend. I mean, I think we all have friends on any given year who are experiencing some heartbreak, you know, like even just went out on a date with a girl and I thought it was going so well and she never called me back all the way to asked if he wanted to move in and he said no, right? I think a lot of us understand heartbreak as sort of part of the human experience, you know? And I think it, it should be. Like, it's the product of love and attachment. I don't know if it should be. I think it's unavoidable. It makes sense that it would be. I don't think I would have turned to neurofeedback unless it had been hap- unless I had been struggling for so long. Because I think a lot of us do heal, you know? I, 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 a lot of us encounter heartbreak and it hurts like crazy and it slowly gets better. So I think, yeah, the only reason that I initially went to neurofeedback was because mine didn't seem to be getting any better. So yeah, if a friend hit me up, like my boyfriend broke up with me and I'm really sad, I wouldn't initially say like, oh, time to get neurofeedbacked. I would say, like, that's such a bummer. Do you want to come over? In 2018, Dessa released an album called Chime, which she says was influenced by her neurofeedback experiment. And she also wrote about it in her book, My Own Devices, True Stories from the Road on Music, Science, and Senseless Love. What's your love life, relationship life, now, I mean, did you mm. did you learn not only things about yourself, but also your attachments and how you love from this experiment? Has it informed your love life now? Mm. Yeah, I mean, the more aware I am of how holistic the whole thing is, meaning like how very interconnected it all is. So, you know, the way you feel about your job, if you feel really unhappy in your job, for example, maybe you're putting a little bit more pressure on your love life to make your whole life better. And if you're underslept, maybe that makes it hard to do your job well. You know what I mean? Like so many categories of our lives are intertwined and the way that our brains work is very much the way that our hearts work is very much the way that our bodies work. Like we're kind of one system. That said, um, as for my own love life at the moment, I am single but excited to date. I've been on a few dates and it's exciting to meet new people and I'm trying to get better at that at presenting my full self and showing up with few expectations, you know. We wanted to hear from you what experiments you've tried to help you move on after a breakup 
I once had a friend who quit her job and became a bodybuilder. One woman called in and said she bought a record player, and it helped a lot. Someone else said they started listening to music that they used to listen to when they were younger, before they'd even met the person, just to remind them that they were okay once. Other tips from listeners included watching the show Forensic Files, watching The Sopranos from episode one, stopping smoking, starting smoking, a dramatic haircut, a road trip, adopting a pet, going to spend time with your mother and father, trying to do nice things for other people, volunteering, even if you're shy. One person suggested going for long runs and complete silence, no headphones. When I'm running hard, I feel like there isn't room for anything other than my breath and my feet hitting the ground, and it can just feel really cathartic to feel like I'm sweating out any sort of icky feeling. I bought throw pillows. I spent probably $1,000 worth of throw pillows of different sizes, shapes, and colors just to get color into what had become a very drab situation. I played a lot of video games. I played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and board games. I really don't think I could have gotten to this point without therapy, so thank you to my therapist. I really like to rearrange my bedroom furniture. Um, I find that putting my bed, especially in a new place, and making it feel like a different room helps me feel like I'm in a different space and also helps me, helps the room feel less empty. Lots of people said go outside. I mean, she's great, but it'd be as great as the mountains and the landscape around me, and uh, it really gave me perspective. People suggested getting back out there. As one caller put it, a little bit of light dating. Kate in Australia recommended acupuncture and said that just having a regular appointment helps. Somewhere to go, someone to see every couple of weeks. A way of looking after yourself, she says. Do things that are fun. Do things that get you out of your own mind and try to be happy. Find people to go to the movies, to play board games, to play video games, to watch shows together, to laugh together, and you'll get there. I know you will. This is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Susanna Robertson is our producer. Rob Byers is our technical director. Engineering by Russ Henry. You can find out more about the show at thisislovepodcast.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at This Is Love Show. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, 
We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it. In the new docuseries Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.